to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, as my wife walks by and says that I'm a weirdo. It is the 18th of September, 2019. This is episode 148. And yes, folks, it's the tie episode. So I am Wes Fryer coming to you from Oklahoma City, where I am the technology integration and innovation specialist at the Cassidy School. A mere eight minutes down the road from our house, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Neifer, looking quite dapper tonight. As I understand, you are accepting a new role uh, related to ambassadorial uh, international politics. Is that correct? Oh, well, sadly, I'm not joining the Foreign Service, which actually, now that I think about it, would have been a great career choice for me um, uh, 20 years ago. But I was supposed to have a meeting today with... Um, uh, an ambassador, uh, not the ambassador, but an ambassador from Ireland, uh, related to our Irish studies program at the Montana Digital Academy, where we teach Irish Gaelic as part of our, uh, uh, program across the state. But unfortunately, he was delayed on his way to Missoula, Montana today. So it just ended up being necktie Wednesday. And, um, as it turns out, Dr. Fryer, you and I are wearing ties at the same time. So I noticed Peggy George in our audience has spotted the well-dressed men of the episode, so I'm we're happy to be of service tonight um, as, as part of the many, many things we do here on the EdTech Situation Room. That's right. We just want to give everyone their money's worth that, uh, yes, you are spending to, to spend some time with us. Uh, so we want to let you know you can access our show notes and links for the articles that we will talk about tonight on edtechsr.com slash links. And as he has been doing a lot of lately, Dr. Neifer has done the yeoman's job getting a lot of links in there, and I've only dropped a few. You never know who has dropped in the links, but as we choose our articles on what we would like to talk about, you get some clues. So, Jason, where would you like to – actually, let's do a quick weather update. It's not a weather show. It's always interesting. Again, mid-90 degree Fahrenheit today. Wow. Uh, someone who's not a meteorologist said this may be our last hot day, but I'm not going to go to the bank on it. In our more northern climates, Jason, are you enjoying 90-degree uh, hot summer days still? Um, we are not. We did have beautiful uh, days this past weekend. I believe the high on Saturday was mid-80s, maybe Sunday, low to mid-80s. And then uh, Monday it was warm. I was not in Helena on Monday. I'm sorry, I was not in Missoula on Monday. I was in Helena Monday and Tuesday. I came back to cool temperatures. And today, well, right now it is 51 degrees in Missoula. It's been raining for the last hour, according to my favorite weather app, which is uh, uh, Dark Skies, which is a beautiful app on both iOS and Android. It will be raining for the next hour, and then tomorrow it's going to rain all day, Friday it's going to rain all day, Saturday and Sunday it's going to rain all day, which is kind of the new Missoula fall. So but this means no fires and smoke, right? So you're done with that. Exactly. Yep, and we are past the season that traditionally we would have fire issues, and so yes, uh, thank goodness we, this is the second summer in a row where the fires were uh, much more minimal compared to summer 2017, which was a terrible fire season in the state of Montana, canceling uh, what I would assume would be hundreds of sports events, uh, uh, thousands upon thousands of recesses. Uh, for kids across the state. And so we are glad that we are more wet than we are warm. And I would assume, I mean, it's not unheard of. In fact, I, I was thinking about this the other day, my first day at Carroll College, which is a um, college in Helena, Montana. It's a private college that I went to uh, for my undergraduate degree. It snowed on the first two days of my college experience in 1992. Um, and that was uh, late August. And so 
Uh, snow can appear at any time in big sky country. It's not, you know, it's not Alaska, it's not northern Canada, it's not Iceland, but it is a snowy climate here. So snow will come anytime soon. And to be frank, I, this younger gentleman probably didn't, uh, particularly care for the winter. I'm starting to enjoy it. I think there's a nice solitude to it and it snows better than fire. Absolutely. We are, we are ready for fall here in the Midwest. So where would you like to begin in this lovely, uh, collection of articles that you've got tonight. Nicely titled, by the way, just to give everyone a preview, Android World, Google, Chrome OS, Apple, Connectivity, Security Disruption, Buyer Beware, AI, Technology Correction, Media Literacy, Info War, Disinformation, and then the miscellaneous category. So, Alex, uh, what would you like to, or what would you like to request from Alex tonight to begin? Well, let's talk phones. I, I think that there's an interesting story going on right now. We're obviously in uh, the Christmas buying season for technology and most of the major manufacturers are releasing new phones this fall. And last week we talked about the new iPhones. I will tell you that I've been talking to the Apple faithful in my technology circle and I know at least three families that use the opportunity uh, of the new iPhones released to jump to newer phones. Um, I know one family that upgraded from fives to tens I know one family that upgraded from sixes to tens and elevens. Um, I know one family that updated from four S's, which I can't even imagine how those are still running, to be frank. Um, and they are buying eights. And my family is in the middle of a unfortunately complicated transition. We are going to be moving. I've been on T-Mobile for nearly three years now. Um, my family stayed behind on Verizon because the T-Mobile signal was not super great in rural Montana. And my in-laws in particular, we have a large family plan that we all share together. They spend a lot of time at a cabin on the Missouri River that is in a deep ravine where Verizon's really the only option at the top of the, the ravine to get cell phone access. Where, where Lewis and Clark passed through, right? Isn't that yes, that, that's true. In fact, their their land did have a, there was a campfire uh, noted in journal uh, of Lewis and Clark where my uh, in-laws own a, a cabin on a, a chunk of property. And as it turns out, um, T-Mobile is now a nice, strong signal on, on top of the hill. And so I'm going to take you go through the complicated process of taking, um, uh, it would be five phones from my current Verizon plan and moving them onto my T-Mobile plan. But because all the phones, we have a 5S, we have a 6, a 6, a 6S, and then a 5-year-old Moto X which is my dad's phone. We're going to be moving the whole fam over to T-Mobile. And I know for my friend Mike, who moved his family over to T-Mobile uh, to, to update iPhones and then jump to that service, that it, he took him three and a half hours on Saturday with the T-Mobile folks to move everyone over and figure out what they wanted to do. But new phones are arriving at his home daily, and his family's happy. And so I'm probably either this Saturday or next Saturday going to gather up all the family phones, trek over to T-Mobile, and move everyone over. So I would ask a week into it, Wes, uh, you are an Apple family. You guys use uh, the Apple stuff a lot. Is that a new one? Well... The new one is in the mail. So in a, in a fit of sleep-induced weakness, uh, which I will freely blame my, my uncle, uh, Ron Henley, who pocket called me uh, and then proceeded to tell me about T-Mobile's deal. So this is the iPhone 7 Plus, and T-Mobile's running a deal for $350 
for this one. And you cannot, you know, get that on Swappa or whatever. Um, you actually get it over a year and, and they're going to, you know, put that, I guess, into your account and you're not a hundred percent guaranteed. That's what the value is stated to be. So yeah, uh, I think next week I will be getting an iPhone 11 pro yeah. that will be arriving. And I'll have to say that the telephoto lens, so to do the shout out to the, to our articles or, or whatever, actually I have a video that I put in. This is from the verge. Um, and this was, I think just two days ago. And the title is iPhone pro review the best camera on a phone. And it's a 17 minute and 48 second video. I actually watched that after I had made that decision, but the, it is such a leap forward in camera quality. And so this is clearly a rationalization, but you know, our daughter's only in high school, two more years. I'm taking pictures of the volleyball games. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't that look better on a telephoto iPhone pro camera rather than this, you know, Paul right. seven plus. So any sort of like moral superiority, I think I might've had by saying, Oh yes, we're not going to buy any of these expensive phones. It is a good deal to get 350 bucks, you know, for this. It, it basically makes the pro, um, the 11 pro, you know, comparable to the, to the 11 in terms of a trade in. But anyway, yeah, I, I had not anticipated that. Uh, I'm excited about it. And I, I, my thought had been, you know, jump at least two, um, generations if you're going to go ahead and upgrade. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what's, what it's going to be like. But anyway, what I don't know. Other- storage on that phone? I went ahead and just stuck with 64. Sure. Um, I could have, you know, Gone ahead and with other phones, I've, I've, I've tried to go 128 or even two six, uh, whatever, 264. But, um, you know, I'm using that feature where your, your pictures are just totally moved to the cloud. Apple has decreased their prices on the iCloud. And so we went up to a terabit as the family and it's not that much. Uh, hey, we're doing our part to help Apple's transition to services revenue. So anyway, I, um, you know, I think I can get by with that. And because all of my, my photos, you know, go up to, to Google photos as well as to iCloud. Um, so anyway, yes, I'll be sharing my perceptions of the latest phone and what they're touting, you know, is that Apple has actually leaped, leaped ahead of, uh, the pixel and, you know, Samsung. And obviously people have all kinds of debates about that. Do we all need the latest and greatest phone? Probably not, but I mean, as I love my my Chromecast uh, in our in our sunroom on this television, I love to turn it on and just have it cycle through all these pictures. And I was just looking at some rather grainy pictures, you know, from years ago, and that is going to be a sign of the times that we're going to see as far as pixels. Um, on a on a school note, one thing I'll comment on, you know, Apple's camp phones now with I guess with the seven uh, have started to shoot in a new format. It's H E I C, I think. And so uh, there actually can be some compatibility issues depending upon programs you're working with and, and things like that. Um, the workaround that I have found, uh, as this is a tangential aside, uh, is that if you if you need to have that in a JPEG format and you've shot it in the HEIC format, uh, you can simply edit the picture, do a small crop, and the crop version is saved as a JPEG. Um, so anyway, just things that are that are happening with phones um on a related note i'd say you know the fact that kids are continuing to bring these devices into our classrooms uh presents great opportunities for being able to create and certainly uh also you know needed conversations we need to have about media literacy it is such an ask today this seems crazy 
for to say, can you read this? <laughs> because I think more than ever, we're a visual culture and we are learning through video. And hey, we're happy for you all to be joining us live here. Folks that are going to be listening, you know, or watching later. Um, consumptive behavior is changing in mass. And I would say that is largely powered by the smartphone. So how about you, Dr. Neifer? Are you going to be tempted by the wonderful trade-ins? Because you never know how long T-Mobile is going to be offering such a great deal. Um, I think if you're less than a seven, I think you're probably better off just selling your six, six plus and older right. on your own. But yep. are, are you going to be enticed to join us? Come, come back from come the back side. Yeah, John. Uh, well, let me give you one other link that related to Apple that, that's been kind of factoring into our discussion as a family this week. Great article, and I don't get to say this this phrase very often, great article from USA Today on um, kind of the range of available phones right now from Apple. And it doesn't go into the used market, and you can pick up a 6 now or 6S for a song and put a new battery in it. And it's not going to act like a new phone, but it's going to be a pretty, 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 pretty compelling experience for the price you're getting for it. But it goes uh, through all the phone options available officially from $449 to $1,449. And that's a wide range. And one thing to remember that I think is also important that, you know, this wasn't Steve Jobs' vision of the iPhone, right? He wanted one iPhone that did one thing, and he wanted one laptop that did one thing, and he wanted one desktop that did one thing, and he wanted one tablet that did one thing. He wanted four SKUs or four available pieces, and that's the line, right? And make sure that those are as elegant of experiences as possible. And it is interesting, and I think it's a smart move on Apple's part that under Tim Cook, that recognizing that no one um, is going to universally take on the the $1,400 phone experience, that, that there is a variety of markets that Apple can uh, speak to, and that that's my family's discussion right now. My mom and my dad, who are not super advanced phone users, my mom uses her iPad more than her phone, um, my dad plays solitaire on his phone. That's really the extent of his uh, inner engagement. And I think we're going to move him to an iPad this year too. But, you know, a my wife's recycled 6S, I think is going to go to my mom. And I think my dad, I'm trying to find the right phone for him in the Android market, which is what he's used to. But amongst my in-laws and my wife, my wife's probably going to be a 10 and my in-laws either a 10 or an 11. And they're at compelling prices right now. They're not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but they're not, you know, uh, wildly expensive. Um, they're I, also I think, not going to go dead in three years. And no, you're not gonna they're not. Them, so. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And, you know, you'll get the Apple warranty for a year. I think I might be tempted. Well, uh, my friend Mike uh, – picked up the the T-Mobile warranty, which generally I would advise against, but he did some interesting calculations that not only do you get you know unlimited replacements for even self-broken phones, and when you're making that kind of investment in phones, that's worth it, that it also guarantees a trade-in price in a year for X hundred dollars or something that he can just take over the payments he's paying now and get an upgrade to whatever the iPhone 12 looks like. As I mentioned last week, the, the Problem for me right now is I am happy in Chrome OS world. I am happy in Pixel world, uh, Pixel Book world. I am not happy with my smartwatch. And I watched the, the the full keynote video about the the work on the smartwatch. I've read some of the research studies that Apple has conducted with universities on the power of that platform. And frankly, they're kicking uh, Android's butt all over the place. And you know, the wearable is an interesting an interesting what if minus that, right? Like, I do like that I don't need to be tethered to my phone. I like that it shows my blood sugar. That's super great. It shows my trend. And, you know, 
that's interesting data that I don't need to look at my phone. But the stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a 45, well, almost, what am I? I'm an older, I'm sorry, I'm a middle-aged gentleman, right, who is, is obviously not a CrossFit guy, and I am very tempted by the notion of something that's better tracking my heart. I do have a heart rate monitor on here. It tracks my average heart rate throughout the day. It's useful data and information. When I'm stressful, it goes up. When I'm getting more exercise and not stressful, it goes down. And, you know, I get that. But all those compelling health data pieces they're adding to the Apple Watch, it's just really interesting. So... I don't know. I'm probably going to be in Google for a while longer, but every time they wave that watch in my face, it's pretty tempting. Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, Chrome is working great on the, on the phone and I love synchronizing as far as passwords and things like that. Um, we have a responsive website for our school versus having a mobile app. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm, you know, there and I can do attendance and, and whatever. I'll say that on the, on the, on the watch, I've enjoyed, uh, both on the uh, class I'm teaching on Sundays as well as just my, my weekly classes with fifth and sixth graders, you know, downloading my, my Google slides, popping it into Keynote, you know, driving it here. I know that would be a factor if you didn't switch your laptop, but the, the Google assistant uh, works really well. Um, I play my podcasts, uh, even actually when yeah. you, when you play, um, you know, from pocket cast, which I know you're a pocket cast user as well, which it syncs. Uh, it's cool because I can, I can, even if I start, start that from the phone, I can control it with the, the Google home speaker. Uh, and then I have not found a difference in the Google assistant really you know, from the phone versus, you know, talking to, to Google home. So anyway, there's a lot of uh, good compatibility and things like that. I mean, yeah, I think the health parts are definitely the most compelling. I think in the show last week, I did a shout out to that video that they had in the keynote, which was, in fact, I didn't show that to my students and I was going to do that. I think it's just pretty amazing. Those stories of, of the difference that the Apple watches features have had to folks being able to call for emergency help. Um, you know, being able to get warnings when they have a real, you know, bizarre thing that's happening with, with their heart. Um, yeah, it's uh, Apple did a nice job with that video, and I think that the the health features of the Apple Watch are the number one most compelling reason to have it. That being said, you know I'm texting daily with it. I'm talking on the phone. I don't talk on the phone that much, but when I do, I'm I'm answering my calls, you know, quite a bit with it. I'm setting reminders all the time, so it's good, man. We'll see what happens. Okay, and then to balance this out a little bit, um, let's go ahead and talk about the Android news here. This is speculative news because their event will be until October, but I will say that they have announced that I think it's October 15th, Tuesday, October 15th is the day that they will be announcing uh, what everyone assumes is the Pixel 4, and they're calling it a Made by Google event. And so the article that, that I'm citing here is 9 to 5 Google on September 16th. I don't think that mentions the prospect of new Chromebooks, but um, I have read by the various Chromebook uh, news sources that they expect whatever the successor is to the Pixel book to come out on October 15th as well. And I will say that very speculatively, there are a number of the Pixel faithful that are already saying that the camera on the Pixel 4 will be better than the iPhone 11 Pro uh, camera. And 
I, I'm sure it'll be competitive because I, I do think that there is a, 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 a good, maybe not great, um, argument to be made that the Pixel 3 was a better camera experience than the iPhone, uh, whatever the 10 version 2 was, but uh, we'll have to see. And it, part of the problem is that I think both platforms are so great and they're putting so much great hardware into these phones that it's, you're starting to really, I, I, nitpick to try to find differences between the two. So I'm hoping that there are new Google designed Chromebooks on October 15th. I hope whatever the Pixel 4 is makes people happy and that, you know, they feel like that they can stick with the platform. So we have two great ecosystems with two great flagship phones. Yeah, definitely. And one uh, kind of related thought. So in our middle school, our kids are not allowed to really have their phones out during the day. Uh, they're supposed to be in their lockers if they have them. <clears throat> but I do have my students doing a lot of recording in the computer lab with a Seesaw, and then we've also been using Adobe SparkPost. And anyway, just with phones and all of that being present, I've, I've heard my own voice in the background, you know, when kids are recording and things like that. And, um, you know, it is something to keep in mind. Um, I, I don't know how many teachers have have a story about that, but it's, it's a little bit, it's not unnerving at all, but it's interesting to, you know, hear yourself, you know, in the background of these, these kinds of recordings. So again, these devices in, in pockets, uh, just not going to be going away. I have not done a survey yet this year of my kids to kind of see where they're at with smartphones and, and things like that. But, um, I agree. It's great to have a robust ecosystem and I'm glad to see that, you know, there's not a, a single show in town because I think that that is to the detriment of consumers and, and the marketplace overall. Um, I'll do one more Apple article uh, before we kind of leave that topic. And I put this one in from iMore. This is kind of fun. All Apple arcade games with controller support. So one of the things we mentioned from a past Apple event, not this most recent one, was Apple cleverly decided to support like Xbox controllers and PlayStation controllers. And so um, there are a number of games, not that many, um, but they've got a special little icon there. And then these, these games are listed here. And I would just say, you know, on the topic of games, we were talking about this at school. We've mentioned it on the show before. A number of athletic organizations are taking a look at esports and the importance of esports and, you know, we need um, adults to be involved in terms of protecting kids for, for a variety of different things, but that includes recruitment and things like that with, with college sports and professional sports. With the amount of money that we have happening now in esports, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I don't know to what degree school cultures will, will shift at all from, you know, what you might think of as a traditional, you know, sports with football or whatever that is in, in your school that really uh, tends to be dominant. But anyway, esports are continuing to be on the rise and their relevancy and importance and their monetary power is, you know, pretty eye opening. If you have not spied that and talked to your, your students about that, I would I would bet that a number of our students are very attuned to the role in which esports are playing. And yeah, that would be a good survey question, actually, to include with the kids. How how many of you watch gaming online? How many hours per week would you estimate you watch other people playing games? Uh, and I bet that number would probably surprise a lot of us. Hey, let me ask the question. Do you guys have any esports, organized esports, anything in your neck of the woods yet? No, the only insight I have into that, and I might have mentioned it, is our athletic director's son, who's a junior up at Oklahoma State University. His best friend is taking the year off 
or actually, I guess his, his, his son is at OU. And then this one, this, uh, friend was at OSU taking a year off to professionally, uh, play, um, um, what's, uh, you know, sing, uh, the mass, massive, we're all battle royale. Uh, yes, he's, he's a, he's a professional Fortnite player. And he wow. actually got into that New York tournament. Did I, did I say this on the show? He got into the, the Fortnite tournament where the kid won up three, was it $3 million? Mm-hmm. He had a hundred kids, a hundred people, probably most of them kids, but some of them older, hundred of them got in guaranteed 50,000 to be in that. And his, his contract is at 80, 20 split. So he kept 80% of 50,000. I think he's 19 and he's taking the year off of college, uh, to, you know, play Fortnite professionally. Wow. Yep. And oh, anyway, but I, but I, there, there's talk about esports, and I think universities, I think maybe OU started a program, but no, I, there, I, someone was just telling me that, that our Oklahoma athletic association is looking at that, but I don't, uh, yeah, know that that I don't, it hasn't happened yet. So I will say that there will be at least a session, if not two, featuring esports at NCCE this year. Um, I was part of the committee that that looked at proposals and and try to help fill out the big grid at the conference, and a lot of interest in it from uh, members of, of, our, of our advisory committee, and then also uh, there seems to be a lot of audience interest in that. Well, and I do think that esports coming to a school near you, and I was part of a conversation a couple weeks ago on Twitter, and I'm sorry I don't really remember what the context of it was or who I spoke with, but one of the things that um, uh, was being talked about was that how great it was to, you know, be able to to have kids bring their hobby into school, right, their passions into school, and, and have something that, that's publicly viewable. And I also would argue, I I, I think the, the, the contribution I made to that conversation was that you're probably also getting parents and community members that weren't coming to your school anyways. Um, I would imagine there's a, uh, uh, obviously, a cross-section between the kids that might be interested in, in various traditional sports and, and, and e-sports, but there's probably a whole community of kids that would never really be at a sporting event or come into your school for any competitive event that would suddenly then um, uh, uh, you'll be able to bring their family and community members in to attract that. So I think it's a really interesting way to kind of expand the, the reach of your school. We've done some evening Minecraft events, and uh, we're I'm actually wrestling with our Microsoft account and, and support folks, uh, just as far as the, the transition with licenses and, and students and 365 and all that. But we've done some evening things. We did one before Halloween last year or on a weekend, you know, that was an event. But, um, yeah, that'll be something to think about, you know, possibly doing something around esports. Um, we had a arts festival a couple of years ago and we had a student who actually brought all of his own gear, but he was really into uh, virtual reality and VR and he did a big demo. Um, Anyway, so it would be interesting to think about because I know that we've got a number of kids who are having LAN parties, you know, and everyone's bringing their game systems, their PCs or their, you know, consoles or whatever. And uh, talk about, you know, taxing your Internet connection, you know, with, you know, multiple kids over there all streaming and, and everyone's got their headsets on. Right. Uh, pretty well. All right. Well, there are some other news items besides Apple and Android uh, topics. What what else should we talk about this week, Jason? Well, this one I forgot to add to the list, and then I've been reading about this the last 48 hours and, and thought, because we talked about this in the past, it belongs here. So Pocket Casts, which is our preferred, or at least my preferred, and I, are you on Pocket Casts now too? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. So Pocket Casts was a $3.99 app uh, when it started, and then about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, it was purchased by a group of public radio interests. And that, of course 
in my mind, sealed the deal for the app, right? There's a lot of money um, behind public radio, and as they make more and more interesting inroads into digital distribution of content or digital distribution of content, uh, podcasting makes total sense. But they announced uh, an interesting decision yesterday that creates some backlash, and then they, I wouldn't say they quite backed off, but they changed part of what their shtick was. But podcast has announced that the app is now free, which is a great um, contribution uh, to the podcasting community, full featured app now available for free. And frankly, I would have paid a lot more than $3.99 for the app, but I feel like I've gotten my $3.99 worth to this point. And they are uh, uh, doing exactly what they've done from the beginning. They good discovery engine, um, audio effects that allow you to, to do things like trim silence and play it back at, at a faster rate, which is I take advantage of both of those tools to compress the amount of time that a podcast takes. Uh, good organization, great design. Um, they are adding new themes and icons. Um, uh, they've got interesting ways of doing playback, and then you can sync across many, many different uh, uh, devices. Well, they announced, in addition to the freeing of the app, that they would have something called Pocket Cast Plus, which includes access to desktop apps, including macOS, Windows, and then there's a web app, which actually they've had for some time, um, cloud storage for those that want to use Pocket Cast for their own audio and video, which is super interesting, um, exclusive app icons and themes to the, to the uh, pro users, and um, they were going to charge, and I can't remember how much it was a month, but it was a, a price per month that, I'm sorry, it's 99 cents a month or $10 per year. And they also announced yesterday that if you previously purchased, and it was, it wasn't a pro version, but you paid 9.99 once and it allowed you to access your full library on the web. And so it would sync across whatever, where you were at in various po- podcasts, and then you could bring them up on the web. Well, apparently, and I thought, uh, and they're, 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 deal with that was they gave you three years of pro for free, right? Um, and if you were pre- previously a $9.99 customer, so basically $30 in value for the $9.99 that you spent. Well, apparently there was outrage uh, that users that had paid $9.99 felt as though that they were being uh, uh, ripped off. I will admit that when I first read they were going to have a pro version, I was scared that the free version would slowly creep away from the pro version, and even though I was receiving three years of that service, that eventually I would have to pay for that service. And to be clear, $10 a year is not a premium price for an app that I use every single day, right? So that wasn't a big deal. But today they have announced that if you've purchased at any point the pro version of uh, uh, Pocket Cast, you will get a lifetime subscription to the pro version, which I think is very generous on their part. And I will continue to talk about Pocket Cast as the app uh, for organizing and listening to podcasts. So if you have been hesitant to this point because you're happy with your current podcast app and the investment of $3.99 wasn't worth the exploration to you, I would suggest download Pocket Cast now. It's an extraordinarily good app. You can listen to every episode of EdTech Situation Room, which makes it a premium app in itself. <laughs> and the bottom line is that um, the only other podcast app that I've ever used that comes close to the functionality is the iOS-only Downcast. But it's on iOS only. So for you in the Android world or someone that wants to access this content on Mac, PC, or the web, Pocket Cast is the place to go. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. We had a podcasting conference this last weekend for Story Chasers. And this isn't my Geek of the Week, but I'll include the link in the show notes because all the resources, it was a single track conference. And so I shared the keynote and then two of the breakout sessions on quick edit podcasting and then post-production tools. In the research that I did, it's actually slide 15 of the keynote, and I'll put this link into the show notes. <clears throat> I, read, I read this article from Time, which the, the article is titled, These Are Our Five Favorite Podcast Apps Right Now. But at the top of the article is a video, and it's titled, The U.S. Podcast Industry is Picking Up Steam, but it's nothing compared to China's. The Chinese podcast market, and this was you know statistics uh, from May of this year, May of 2019, brought in over $7.3 billion in 2017. And interestingly, the major the, the Chinese podcast market is a subscription market. So we've talked about this before in the show when Spotify purchased Gimlet Media and they also purchased Anchor. Evidently, part of their play for that is this idea that they are going to financially benefit from podcasts. And so while I have a real passion for open source and the open nature of podcasting and the fact that you can, you know, I think today speak to whatever smart speaker you want and go to just about any, you know, major podcasting app and, and say or search for EdTech Situation Room, uh, you are going to be able to listen. Uh, that is not the future I think that we're going to. I'm positive there's a lot of folks eyeing that Chinese market, seeing all those subscriptions and, and seeing dollar signs. Yep. So it's just interesting what our normal is. And like you said, there's this huge backlash to Pocket Cast. I hadn't realized that Pocket Cast had sold. I dropped into the show notes uh, a video interview from the, the, uh, the Twit Network, and this was – maybe did I drop that in? Um, yeah, actually, I need to move it up. Uh, May of 2018. So this was uh, last year, but it was called Inside the Pocket Cast Acquisition. And so the founder of Pocket Cast, who's from yep. Australia, talks about it and you know the philosophy behind public radio and the whole group that, that got them, et cetera. So it's been a great day for podcasting. I think it still is. The <clears throat> I'm going to be interested to think about monetization. And honestly, Jason, one of the things we could talk about when I was in the workshop demoing the Anchor app, it popped up, hey, would you like to monetize? You know, and, and actually on the one, you, I have one now called Class with Dr. Fryer, and you could tell your smart speaker, hey, G, or hey, Madam A, play the latest episode of Class with Dr. Fryer. And you'll hear actually the, sum, the summative podcast that we did at this conference. But I went ahead and, and tapped monetization, and what they asked me to do was record a 30-second ad for the Anchor app. But then beyond that, you know, the, the payouts and the things like that are there. So I would predict with my crystal ball that we're going to see uh, similar. Well, I mean, with Netflix and obviously we're used to subscriptions with streaming video that there's not a norm of besides YouTube, of course, uh, you know, to be able to pay for subscriptions. But anyway, we're having more and more choices. But I think we're going to we're going to see more subscription options for podcast. So I love the fact that this is free and anybody can get it. Um, but you know, Jason, would you, would you quit your day job if you could just podcast and, uh, you know, what, what I guess we would, we just wouldn't be as up to date with things though, if you were not, you know, working in the educational field. I don't think anyone's quitting their day job, but right. supplementing no. income certainly would be something to think about. I just, from what I've seen educationally, like, you know, putting, uh, Eric Langhorst could actually speak to this. Cause I mean, I think he's, you know, 
put ads on his blog and mm-hmm. there are, there are people pulling in a, a really nice living. You know, Richard Byrne um, has a phenomenal uh, blog and, and he's the most prolific educational blogger ever in the history of blogging. So uh, yeah. there's a few folks out there that are, that are making a living at it. But anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think that, we need to also be advocating. I think podcasts have a role to play, by the way, in, if not the reinvention, the reinvigoration of our democracy and our Republican form of government. There are a lot of complex topics that we need to be able to talk out. And yep. podcasts give us an opportunity to have conversations and to listen and to just not be in this soundbite, 45 seconds. Oh, you know, here, here, debaters, stop talking about that. You know, we don't have time. Podcasts are such a different environment. So I really love podcasts, and I think that we need to continue to encourage uh, our students as well as other teachers and others in our community to utilize the, the platform not only for listening but also for, for publishing and sharing. And it's just interesting because we're kind of riding a wave of change, and I think that that change is going to be more subscription-based. Is that your sense of it, or what do you what do you see when you look in your crystal ball of podcasting? Well, a couple things. The first one is that I think we've mentioned this before, and we've talked about maybe doing a thematic episode. I think that would be great if, if maybe we tackle the podcasting uh, episode, both as a creation device, which I know, Wes, you are uh, a formidable expert in. And then I would say that I've done a lot of research in, in uh, for some scholarly and perhaps side business reasons about uh, podcast as a uh, consumption vehicle in classrooms, because there is so much extraordinary content. And there is some meaningful research to suggest the radio programming, right, voice-only programming. And a lot of this, you know, supported public radio in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, this American Life has a lot of research actually behind it and why it's so compelling as a content engine. But the bottom line for me is that there are so many great podcasts that are 10 to 12 minutes in length that talk about an interesting topic in detail. I always think of it in terms of how you can engage kids in discussions, because that was my ideal as a classroom teacher. I like to hear kids talk about stuff. I like to inspire them to think. And there's not a single day that goes by when I am actively listening to podcasts as part of walking or relaxing or, or commuting to work where I don't think to myself, this will be a rockin' story to share with kids. So, so that is an important piece. Um, the second thing that, that I think it's also important to note that, you know, let's, you know, let's be honest about what this forum is, right? Like, Wes and I do this not because it's millions of dollars, right? And in fact, you know, it's a time investment. You probably are shocked to hear if you're a listener to this podcast that Wes and I are both overcommitted in our jobs and deep into you know, the the industry that, that we work in. We both have active family lives and we both have a lot of hobbies we like to do. We do this because it's important for us to process and we do know that there are people that listen and that we get great feedback from and we have interaction with and we talk with on the internet. That's a value to us because beyond whatever financial gazillions, you know, could be made in this forum. But I like the notion that Gimlet Media, which is a multi-hundred million dollar business producing podcast with you know, a lot of ex-public radio people putting extraordinary production value into their podcasts, is listed in the same directory as the EdTech Situation Room, which are sure, you know, 
certainly a couple of guys that understand what they're talking about in regards to the topic that we're speaking of, but this is an amateur podcast. And the fact that we can be in a directory together, that we are advertised together, as long as, you know, there is some attempt to categorize that content. And, you know, I don't think we talk about anything dangerous. I also don't think we talk about, like, we're not edging people towards more, like, you know, more radical. Extreme, people. yeah. Radicalization, yes. Yeah, yeah. Many people have been radicalized to wear tinfoil hats because they've watched the show right 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 and you know uh ignoring that like what a great avenue to have that together and i mentioned this before but and i i was was attempted to go back and look at this west by your comment um luminary is the app that is charging 6.99 a month 9.99 a month i need to look at, at how much i'm paying for this and i'm glad you mentioned it because as it turns out i am paying for premium, uh, 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 the premium piece on here. And, um, there's only one podcast that is on this environment that I, that, that's worth me paying any money for at all. And that's note to sell from WNYC. Yes. I missed that. Oh. Well, and as it turns out, I've been subscribing to this, um, for a long time. And as it turns out, um, I, have only listened to two episodes since I subscribed. And so I'll need to look what I'm paying for this a month. I think it's either $6.99 or $9.99, but that's more than I pay for Netflix, right? That's more than I pay for Hulu and Seinfeld's on Hulu, right? Like the, my favorite show of all time is 99 uh, uh, or $9.99 a month. And, you know, Luminary, which has one show, you know, that I'm not listening to right now, unfortunately, sorry, Manoush. Um, you know, that is, that that's the reality. So I really don't want, I mean, I, I, I actually, I should also say I'm an active Patreon user. And if you are, are, if you're not aware of Patreon, Patreon is a site where many creators put up pages and offer the opportunity to buy into uh, supporting creators. And there's a lot of podcasters on there. There's a lot of bloggers on there. It's everything from people drawing, you know, erotic cartoons to people that are, you know, amateur podcasters that have gotten a, a following to great YouTube creators that are, you know, sometimes raking in tens of thousands a month, but I, I think I'm spending upwards of $40 a month now between probably 10, 15 different creators and I'm not actively using it, but it's, it, I feel like, or I'm not actively using all 15 of those, those sources at once, but you know, I feel like donating back to that tip jar is an important piece of this. So I don't know where this is going. I, I'm, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to tweet out to pocket cast and as when we're done tonight about how much I appreciate the fact they're giving the lifetime subscription. I don't think it's necessary, but if you haven't started podcast or if you haven't started at least listening to podcasts yet, you're missing out. Like the content is just extraordinary. Yeah. It's such high quality. Hey, we 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 could think about doing some kind of a uh, uh, some kind of a virtual one day conference that was yeah. you know about podcasting. I mean, there I uh, was able to use Bob Sprankle's Room Two Hundred Eight mm -hmm. on the podcast to introduce folks at the conference to the elements of podcasting, and then we also used a video that his kids had produced back in like two thousand six. Um, I just, I love it. You know, my, I have been enriched in so many ways professionally and continue to be. And I think it's part of a different world that some of us live in, like living in this world where I am able to hang out and, and learn. And then it all connects, right? So there's people on Twitter and I've met people face to face and also folks I haven't, but I mean, when you connect with somebody and, oh, now I'm listening to, um, your undivided attention from the, the center for humane technology, 
or now I'm listening to War College, you know, about Russian weaponization of social media. I mean, I mean, it is it is staggering how we're able to hang out with the, the minds of other people and, you know, the opportunity that we have to really get to know people. Because when you've been following someone on their podcast and listening to them, uh, I mean, you can really feel a connection there. And I just it's it's incredibly powerful, explosively powerful. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's fun. I'm a, a fan of sandboxing with media, right? You can, you know, have some places to play and, and to try some things out. And, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what we want to kind of sandbox and play. I'll, I'll say as a side note, as an educational consultant, you know, my experience has been even publishing books and, and making a bit of money off of, of, uh, some books I published back in, you know, 2011, 2013. You know, as a consultant and a presenter, I think, for me, that the opportunity to go to a keynote somewhere or, you know, do do you know, days of, of professional development uh, has vastly outstripped the, you know, sort of micro payments, uh, which they almost are in terms of uh, podcasts or not podcasts, but, um, um, you know, even book sales. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. It kind of depends on what what you're going to do and where you are. Um, you know, in your life. So why don't I transition us to a, a journalism article? Because we're talking some of this about sort of the future of journalism and where that's going. I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm now a paying subscriber to the New York Times. Um, I think the deal is $5 a month. Uh, pretty good deal. I don't know how long that's going to last, but um, I, I like the idea of shifting normal, not only with Patreon, but also, you know, paying for quality journalism. I think that is a valuable thing because if we don't do that, I mean, the, the BBC does not exist as a news service because they run ads, right? I mean, that's not how they exist in, in the UK. Uh, so the article I dropped in was from the Washington Post and this was from February 17th. It's called the Facebook page vets for Trump was hijacked by a North Macedonian businessman. It took months for the owners to get it back. And so I think this is kind of a sign of the times article about uh, number one, security and passwords and the importance of maintaining those. In this case, they made this connection with this other person and they allowed them to be an admin on their Facebook page. And then they got demoted to like subscriber. And so this person who turns out by IP address to have been identified as being in Macedonia, you know, is for a period of, I think, months controlling this page that is targeting vets, uh, who are, who are for, uh, our chief executive. And the article talks about how, uh, vets as a group, veterans, you know, tend to be politically active. They tend to get others active. Um, but anyway, it's, it's kind of a wild tale. Um, who is behind the curtain, right? How do you know who it is that is, is, you know, sending you a message, is, uh, promoting this article, is, is sharing something? Um, you know, this is media literacy and I really, uh, I'm loving the, the ways in which I'm able with fifth and sixth grade this year to talk about how we can use photos, um, to hijack people's minds, to direct their, their mind and to use words as we uh, also then look at advertising and we're not really getting in much to the, the political aspect of that, but good article and, you know, good journalism too, coming to us from the Washington Post. So, uh, I think that, as we move into the election season, we're just going to be hearing, you know, more and more about this. And I think actually I got to touch base with her, but, um, uh, cool cat teacher, Vicki Davis does a, a podcast and I think I'm going to be on there in October talking about deep fakes and deep fake videos. And I had shared a couple of things recently, which, which came from the show, um, about, you know, some of the, the deep fake 
parodies that have been uh, created pointing at, you know, how easily these things can be done. And we can make videos that make people say whatever we want. And this is the media environment in which we live. So more important to be media literate and encourage everyone, not just kids, but everyone to be media literate. And I would also note that, uh, to echo what Wes said, I'm also a subscriber to the New York Times. I pay $10 a month for that and have for probably, I don't know, I would say onwards or upwards of a decade now. I would also note that if you have a .edu address, you can get the Washington Post uh, for $5 a month. And it may be true that you can get verified as, a, as an otherwise school user, teacher, student, uh, administrator. But I pay for both of those, and I also buy a subscription, a digital subscription to my local paper, even though I find a bit less value there. But um, uh, I, I have to fund journalism, and it doesn't – journalism's never been for free, nor should it be for free – and I would encourage you to follow our lead. And if you take advantage of any journalistic source, you know, shell out some dough. It's worth it. Peggy George in our chat room is giving a, a, a shout out to this Washington Post article, what parents need to teach kids about deep fake videos. And we probably could also say what parents need to know themselves, you know, what voters yeah. and citizens of any age need to know. So that's good, Peggy. Thanks for that. And I will drop that one into the the show notes as well. So we've got about 10 minutes till the top of the hour and lots of articles we didn't get to. Uh, what's another uh, headline? Maybe we can go a little more rapid fire with some of these to get through a few, few more of these before we geek of the week it. Sure. There's a bigger point here, but I can go quick here. Uh, movie Pass, which was an extraordinary effort to try to disrupt the movie industry, is shutting down after iteration after iteration after iteration and shutting down once before. It was an unlimited service. I think at one point it was $19.99, then it was $29.99, then it was $9.99, then it was $19.99 again and offered you unlimited movies. They can't make it work. And the reason why I think this is important is because uh, disruption, I feel like we were getting a more even-handed notion of disruption in, in all industries, including ours for that matter, in education. Wes and I were both uh, fans of, of the notion, I think, as it's, it's grown in education. But as it turns out, there are lots of institutions that are probably about what they're going to be in regards to cost and, and, and its value proposition. And apparently movies at this point is one of them. As the industry decreases the number of viewers in movie screens, as home theater becomes a more popular and, and viable budget option, movie pass can't disrupt or keep up. Very good. Um, let's see. What about um, the security article about LastPass from The Verge? Uh, I guess. Wes, uh, your LastPass user, is that correct? Uh, using both LastPass for school and then um, one, one password user. Uh, we recommend LastPass since it is free and... Um, we're not managing that, you know, from a school standpoint, but have definitely, I think we have over half of our users now on a password manager, which is a pretty, That's pretty, pretty big great. deal. So, yeah. so LastPass, which I think is, is one of the gold standard apps, one pass that, that, uh, Wes mentioned is as well, announced a security breach. Um, I believe it was in their web-based version of their, their applet. It stores passwords and it theoretically allowed a malicious person to access the last website that you put a username and password into. So in other words, you couldn't download the whole library, but it, it figured out a way to access a username and password whenever you last used LastPass. And um, if my understanding is correctly that they don't have any evidence that this was uh, an issue in the wild, but they updated across the universe. And even though I 
Do not change my recommendation of LastPass. I am a pro user because that tool is valuable to me and it stores now hundreds of passwords, of which, by the way, I'm pretty close to having 100% unique passwords across all of my accounts. It's taken me months to do, and I have some suspicion that my account, uh, one of my old generic passwords has been released into the wild that has scared me enough to work on that. So even the great industrial software can sometimes have bugs. Yeah. And of course, we need to remind folks that a, a hypothetical vulnerability is very different than, you know, millions of user accounts were compromised and, and those kind of things. And this is a question we get all the time at school as we promote uh, password managers. Well, what happens if, you know, we lose that or that one gets hacked? Um, oh. To my knowledge, we haven't had a broad scale uh, compromise of any of the major password manager sites um, because there's also multiple factors there that that they're doing. Um Typically, you know, oh, by the way, for the Apple Watch, Authy, A-U-T-H-A-U-F-T-H, right? Why? Um, you can just get your, your Authy validation code, you know, right on your watch. So do you do that on the Android as well? Um, I, I do. I do use Authy for some two-factor authentication. What I like about the Android watch is that when Google's doing two-factor authentication, it pops up the notification on my watch, and so I can just approve it from my watch. And the first time that happened, I was sold. Before I started using a constant blood sugar monitor, I was sold just on that because that yeah. was some real Dick Tracy kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. We're not, we're not quite there, but we're getting, we're getting close. Yep. Uh, and then how about this robo calls? So, you know, T-Mobile and AT&T are not the uh, sources of these evidently. Are you still getting swamped with them? By the way, I was just talking to our, our new IT manager and he was saying not only on his cell phone personally, but on his work phone, he's just getting swamped. So are those hitting Missoula, Montana and the, and the digital Academy as well, as far as robo calls? We had a really bad rush of them about 18 months ago where we were getting uh, upwards of two to 300 a day. Um, and our, our poor uh, uh, person answering the phones was getting pretty frustrated with the situation. Mine has gone down dramatically personally in the last two or three weeks. And I'm assuming I hadn't really noticed until I found that article. Um, but uh, I do think that the efforts that T-Mobile, AT&T, and was it Sprint was the other one uh, that, that made some inroads here? I think that's a positive thing. The thing I never understood, though, is that we would get calls and they would go to our teacher directory and ask for the teacher. Right. And when they said they weren't available, they would hang up. And then when we faked that they were available, because all of our teachers are remote to us, we can't transfer a call to them anyway. So I would just fake that I was their voice. Like, yep, this is Susan or yep, this is Sam or yep, this is Fred. They would also just hang up. So I never really understood what the point of that was. Like, if you're not going to steal my, if you're not going to attempt to steal my identity, why robocall me? Yeah. But I'm glad it's starting to at least head in the other direction. Well, speaking of security, I'll do a quick confession and then we can do some Geeks of the Week. Uh, I actually fell for the first, I think, social engineering ploy, um, which is so, so tricky. My daughter is having her ears perk up. So uh, we have a lot of digital curriculum vendors and mm -hmm. one of the roles I've had is to, is to not only audit what those are in our, in our elementary, but also, you know, set up accounts and especially where there's, you know, school accounts, student accounts. Huh. And so anyway, with, with a particular vendor, I've been going back and forth with them. And then I was looking for the quote and the most recent message from them said, you know, here's the information for your review attached. And there was a code because it was an encrypted zip file. <clears throat> and so, you know, it turned out this is not the quote. It actually came from someone else, but this was a response to a thread that I had already had. And I opened it up. 
and I don't have Microsoft Word on my Mac laptop. <clears throat> so I tried to open it up in preview and it, and it showed, I think I tweeted this and I'll include this in the show notes. It included this message that said, Hey, this was formatted for Word. You need to open this in Word. Well, that's really bizarro because preview opens Word documents, but I wasn't deterred and the light bulb hadn't come on. Wes, you just opened an encrypted, you know, attachment that Google can't scan that's dangerous. So I tried to open it in pages, which I also have on my Mac. Same thing, same message. What's going on? Oh, but Wes doesn't stop there. I even go to Google Docs and I open it up because come on, this is the, this is the, the quote that this vendor has sent me, right? And I get the same message and I'm like, what is this? And so I reply to her and saying, you know, can you please send this as a PDF? Uh, the, the word file that you've sent is not, and it was weird to get it encrypted anyway. I actually thought, well, this is kind of clever. They're being, you know, they're using, but they sent the code in the same message. So that's something else like with taxes and everything else, right? If you're going to send an encrypted message to somebody, you're going to send them the zip file that has it encrypted. And then best thing is you're going to call them and say, this is the code. You never send the code to unzip it or whatever, unstuff it with the same thing. So anyway, she got it. She replied to me and said, yeah, uh, sorry. I was hacked. Uh, definitely, you know, clean your machine for malware. Uh, sorry. <laughs> so, you know what? We can all be tricked. That was yeah. bizarro. bizarro. Well, and, you know, and I hope people take that, that, you know, I, it, it's not a, a far stretch to call Wes an expert in this area. And confluences of events, right? That's what that happened. There's a confluence of events, right? It's not just the social attack. It's that it matched your experience, which is what we ask users to do is to, you know, ask yourself, does this make sense? Like would, you know, if someone's scamming my account and it was asking you to open up an invoice for $1,300 and I'm your boss, would your boss be sending you an invoice for $1,300? But I know of two other uh, uh, attempts at phishing West that were very similar circumstances, but the circumstance matched something that was going on, right? And, you know, so it's it due diligence, I think, is extremely important. And, and even when you do it, these are tricky people, right? There's a reason why these attacks are successful. Well, have it as a warning sign. If somebody sends you an encrypted message that you're not expecting, yeah. you, before you open it, call them and you, and it's definitely a warning sign if they're sending you the, uh, the unlock key or the un decryption key in the same message, because that's absolutely yeah. not secure. That violates the, the whole idea of, of sending it's not an encrypted file. If you're going to email in the clear, um, you know, the, the code to unzip it, you've effectively defeated the encryption that you're, that you're sending. So, ah, yes. All right. Well, we are at the top of the hour. Uh, do, do you have a geek of the week for us today, sir? I do. Actually, Wes, why don't you start? Because I have a, I don't want to steal your thunder here. And I have one to add on to yours. Okay, no problem. So uh, I want to share Screencastify. If you're not aware, they are touted as the number one screencasting tool and platform for the Chrome browser. And um, as I was looking for a tool, um, basically I've created a website, mdtech.cassidy.org, where I'm uh, putting lessons, curriculum. Uh, we got blogs now going off of Seesaw as of this week for our students. They can, you know, do a two, two tap publish for, you know, some things that they would like to take from their portfolio and publish. Anyway, I've got a how to section. So that's the other link is uh, this how to. And I went ahead and paid, I think it's $24 a year for the premium. Um, but that allows me because it records in a WebM format, I think, which is a, a Google very highly compressed format. But I can not only download it as an MP4, which I can upload 
I think I can upload the WebM to YouTube as well. <clears throat> but it also lets me do an animated GIF. So for some of the shorter things that I wanted to show, it's really cool to just embed an animated GIF and there's no clicking play or whatever. You just look at it. You know, there are the steps. Uh, really enjoyed that. And so I've actually been uh, just teaching my students to do this and we're going to be doing 60 second Minecraft education house tours that they've been creating uh, to learn how to screencast. Um, and then we're going to use screencasting uh, for my sixth graders in a media literacy um, project that we're going to be doing that came out of the Summers Institute that I went to. So Screencastify, awesome. Uh, but I'd love to know your experiences, Jason, because I'm betting that you all have a number of screencasts that you all have made and shared with Montana Digital Academy students. Would that be correct? Yeah, screencasting is extremely important. It's a strategy we utilize with all of our teachers. Uh, as an example, we um, uh, uh, have a lot of students, or I'm sorry, we have a lot of teachers that do video weekly announcements because we like the adult presence that adds in the classrooms. And I'll share with you uh, our, our two recommended tools for this. Screencastify is awesome. It's a great, solid app. Um, uh, we've moved to Loom, which is something I think it's been, a, it might have been a geek of the week of mine before, but Loom or useloom.com, really great, simple, robust app, um, and we've moved to that as our free app recommendation. We also have a site license for Snagit, which is from TechSmith. They're the makers of Camtasia Studio, and Snagit is, if, if I was, you know, uh, tomorrow left the Digital Academy to become, you know, a rogue egg Ed Techist across the United States and, you know, was, was creating content myself. I think my first purchase, if I were on a Mac or PC, would be to get Snagit. Um, it's a really robust screencasting uh, software and editor for that matter. And it, it's really, really great. Um, I also want to note that uh, just a tip from my friend, Mike Agustinelli, who was one of my friends that moved over to T-Mobile this weekend. Uh, they have a daughter, they have two daughters and, uh, um, uh, their kids are both in high school and their older, uh, kid, uh, had, it bought an iPhone. Uh, I think it was a 10. And so, um, uh, moved up to that. Their younger child, uh, uh, is not old enough yet for a smartphone. And they were looking at, at, at dumb phones from T-Mobile and the dumb phones were pretty expensive and didn't seem like they were very robust platforms. And so what they worked out was that they did buy a cheap Android smartphone for their youngest, um, that is just starting middle school, but they turned the data plan off. So it's effectively turning it into a kind of a dumb phone remotely. But, um, that is a strategy that you can do. You can ask, uh, your, your mobile carrier to turn data off if the data is, is not something you want uh, your kiddos to have remotely. And I will say, I've got to write a blog post. This is in response, actually, to some parent questions about Chromebooks. Uh, but Google has really amped up the parental controls and monitoring options, yes. as well as, you know, you know, levers and dials that you can adjust with your kids if they have an Android phone, but also if they have a Chromebook, uh, Chrome device. So those are good things to keep in mind. Well, when you're not here on Wednesday nights, Jason, where can our listening and learning audience catch more of your wonderful wisdom? Well, um, I'm on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach, and I do read quite a bit in this arena and try to share links out that are interesting to me throughout the week. I also post a lot of links about social studies education. I'm a former social studies teacher. It's something I'm very passionate about. I also have a lot of interest in open government, and so you can follow me at Tech Savvy Teach. And if you're interested in more educational technology stuff, the Northwest Council of Computer Education is one of my home uh, homes away from home. I am the Tech Savvy Administrator in Residence for NCCE and our blog is blog.ncc.org. Stay tuned. We are opening conference registration soon for NCC 2020 in Seattle, March 
of next year. What about you? So I'll say that in a second. I'll just answer Marta's question from the chat. Uh, she said she's used TechSmith Jing for PC. Would Screencastify work better for Chromebooks? I would say yes. I think Absolutely. Jing is downloadable. And so Screencast. Screencastify is entirely browser-based. To Jason's point about editing, that is great, and that's one of the things I like about the pro version is I'm able to just, you know, grab handles and very readily, you know, chop off usually some of the front or the back side where I've gotten a little bit of extra that I don't need. So, yes, give that a try. Screencastify on your Chromebooks. I am W. Fryer on Twitter. My blog is speedofcreativity.org. I am publishing lessons and resources for our fifth and sixth grade digital literacy and media literacy classes at mdtech.cassidy.org. So this has been the EdTech Situation Room. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. Remember to visit edtechsr.com where you can download low band, low bit rate, uh, smaller audio files, 32 kilobit ver- versions, and you can also get a little bit smaller 240p video versions. If you do not want to watch us on YouTube, uh, you can certainly do that. So until next time, we encourage you to be savvy, stay safe, stay safe out there, kids. It's a dangerous world.